Proverbs chapter 15, we'll begin reading at verse 31. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Parenting is not a classroom kind of a job, is it? You don't give a lecture to your kids, bell rings, and you say, all right, kids, see you tomorrow. Remember, there's a quiz. It doesn't go like that. Parenting is a full-time job. You teach them, then you watch them put what you've taught into practice, stumble, you correct them, you teach them again, you watch them again, you watch them put it into practice, they stumble, and you teach them again, and they get better and better. They gain as they practice what you've taught. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He teaches us wisdom by telling us to live out His Word, obey it, do these things, observe these things. And as we do that, we often stumble. We fail. We fall. And then we are taught again. We learn to live by God's grace. We learn what it means to live by God's grace. And then we try again, stumble again, are taught again, learn grace again, and we grow in wisdom. Wisdom is learned by wise living. Wisdom is something you have to practice in order to perfect. So we've been, we looked at the foundations of wisdom, and then we've been looking at the tools for wisdom. And we looked first at, at how the book of Proverbs itself and God himself teaches us in diverse and creative ways. And then we looked uh, secondly at how God has provided many teachers for us from whom we can learn wisdom. And today, I'd like to again step back, look at the book of Proverbs and just see that wisdom is learned by trying to live wisely. So what's the tool for teaching wisdom to ourselves and to our children? Well, wisdom is learned by trying to live wisely. And so I'll focus on three insights for wise living in a foolish world for ourselves and for our children. First, the value of correction. And secondly, the proverb, the wisdom that we get good at whatever we practice doing. And third, correction is only possible when we're in motion, when we're trying to be wise. So let me have you turn to Proverbs chapter 15 and you'll see, first of all, that wisdom is something that's learned if we are those who value correction. In life, it's possible to get wiser, but as you'll see in a moment, it's also possible to get more and more foolish. The difference is our attitude towards correction. So here's what our text says in Proverbs 15, 31. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Rebuke is a hard word, isn't it? It means, and you'll see other translations, correction. It means admonition. It sounds kind of harsh. If we are honest, we'll admit that it wounds the pride. I don't know how many here like to be corrected. Most of the time we don't, although here and there we are wise enough to really value this kind of correction. And yet, Nobody learns a skill, nobody gets it right the first time. doesn't matter what skill it is, you don't get it right the first time. 
Ever watched a, watch a young child doing something for the first time? You know, you invite a young child to help you paint a wall. Some young child bakes a cake for you. Ever watch a toddler eat a cake? I mean, it's just not pretty. They, they don't do it right the first time, and then slowly you teach them how to do it, and they get better and better. Correction. Correction is a key part of learning wisdom. So wisdom, the way we've been looking at it, is, is the skill. It's a skill of learning life the way God intended us to live it. And it comes by doing. It comes by actually trying to live it, making mistakes, being corrected, teaching, making mistakes as we try it again, and then being corrected again and again. And the verse says that finally we'll be numbered with the wise. It could be that we'll be counted wise, which is true because we're growing in wisdom, but it could also be that we'll be among the wise. We'll be welcomed with the wise, and as Proverbs tells us, that makes us even wiser. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. In other words, he learns from the wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So as we're growing in wisdom, we're welcomed into, you might say, the fraternity of the wise, and then we get even wiser because of that. I know, we all would love to get it perfectly right the first time. I don't know if there's anybody that ever does that. And if you do, it's probably by fluke, admit it. We just don't get it right the first time we do it. If your teacher tells you you did it per perfectly, she's probably lying. It's like a, a lab instructor friend when I was in uh, grad school, and we were teaching these labs, and he would take the lab books that came in, and he'd give everybody an A. He says, you know what? They'll never complain, and there's no work for me to do. Just give everybody an A. He was right, of course. Nobody ever complained. Everybody likes to get an A. The problem was, of course, they never learned anything. There was no correction. There was no feedback for the things that they had to do better. And sadly, sometimes we're like that with our parents. I mean, these, those students just quit trying after a while because they didn't have to. I always get an A, no matter what I put, put down. And sometimes our kids are like that because we don't correct them. We're always happy to give them an excuse or offer an excuse either to them or to ourselves for the foolish behavior that they are engaging in. And let's be honest, for bone-tired parents, that's a lot easier. Just give everybody an A. Who cares? Then you don't have to do very much. But then the children never are corrected. They, they never experience the joy of, of this kind of life-giving correction. And that's the kind of correction this is. It's something that helps us to get life itself, to grow in wisdom. And so what happens is that they become foolish. But you, you know what it is. Parents are so thankful when... They get to be adults and they think back on the discipline that their parents gave them and they realize that even though they, as the scriptures themselves say, even though they hated it at the time, it's taught them things that have served them so well throughout life. So Proverbs chapter 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, discipline your daughter, and they will give you rest. They will be a delight to your heart. The wise value correction. That's the first point. Proverbs 9, verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. 
it's a mark of wisdom, you might say, or of those who are hungry for wisdom, that they value correction. So then, let's look at the second point. We get better at whatever we practice. doesn't matter what it is. Good, bad, evil, doesn't matter. You get good at it if you keep doing it over and over. And in a way, it's scarier. It's scary because it means you can get wiser and wiser in life, but it also means that you can get more and more foolish in life. And remember, foolish in the Bible is not stupid. That's not what the word means. It, it's more synonymous with wicked. It's more synonymous with someone who denies God, lives life apart from God. So in 1532, you notice the contrast in our text. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. And there's this, this contrast between the wise and the foolish here. There's those who welcome correction and those who despise correction. Those who say, I know, I know, I know. I hate it when you're always telling me what to do. And those, those who always know what to do, get more and more foolish. So notice the contrast between the text, the wise and the foolish. Verse 19, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 8 says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. And our text, 1532, says, he who does not value correction despises himself. You see that? It's, it's almost an act of self-hatred. It means you don't care about your health. It means you don't care about your own well-being if you don't value correction. It means, it means you don't want to be happy. You know what? I know people who don't want to be happy. They'll never admit it. They may not even realize it. But they really don't want to be happy. And here it's saying you don't value yourself. You despise yourself if you don't if you don't look after and value correction, you don't care about your life here, and friends, you don't care about the life in the hereafter. There's always a movement one way or the other. Either we're moving towards foolishness or we're moving towards wisdom. Every choice we make, every time we respond to correction, we're moving one way or the other. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 talks about evil people. It says evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're on a slippery slope downward. So what we do repeatedly, what we practice, either makes us more and more wise or it makes us more and more comfortable with being foolish. We don't mind it. We like it. So Proverbs 26.11, you know that, that verse that was the favorite of my children. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who returns to his folly. See, it's, it's someone, at first, doing foolish things was hard. The heart was beating, the palms were sweaty the first time you do it, but you keep doing it, and after a while, it's not so hard to do. You get pretty good at it, even if it is a foolish thing, even if it's a wicked thing to do. It's like someone who well, if I can use the imagery of this proverb itself, it's someone who used to gag at the very thought of eating vomit. But now, hey, you know, it's not that bad. I'm used to it. Whatever you practice, you get good at, even if it's being a fool. And soon the habit becomes a part of his nature. So Proverbs 27, 22 says about the fool, though you grind a fool in a mortal with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. It just as wisdom can become ingrained in us, so foolishness can also become ingrained in us. Whatever we practice, we get good at, even if it's being a fool. So, correction is the key, and 
This is the third point. Correction is only possible if we're actually doing something. Correction is only possible if we're moving, if we're actually trying to live wisely. I'm sure you've either driven a boat or rowed a boat or seen a boat. You know that a boat cannot alter its course if it's not moving. There's nothing you can do in still water. The captain can bark all the orders he wants to the rudder to turn left to the right. It won't do anything at all because the boat is not moving. The rudder only works when there's movement. I think you've all probably now used GPS. Have you ever been in a parking lot, let's say of a big store, a mall or something, and you want to go somewhere because you're in a city that you don't know, and you set your destination in the GPS, and the GPS shows you this beautiful map, and you look at it, and it's got the direction, and you don't know which way is north, you don't know which way is south, because you're it's cloudy, it's dark, the buildings all around you are in a strange setting, and you really don't know which way to turn on the main road, left or right. I don't know, because you're not moving. The GPS really doesn't know how to tell you what to do until you start moving, because it doesn't know which direction you're going in. And so if you get to the main road and beat the instruction, you take a guess. You say, ah, maybe I'll turn right. And what does the GPS do if it's right? Well, it directs you to go on to the next turn. And if it's wrong, it offers a mild rebuke. It says, recalculating. And then what does it do? It's okay. It corrects you because it tells you which way to go to get back on course. But it only starts to work. It only really tells you what to do if you're moving. Movement is required in order to grow in wisdom. You have to try to live wisely in order to grow in wisdom. Small challenges at first, and then corrections, then more teaching, and then bigger challenges, some stumbles, some falls, more correction, more teaching, and yet b bigger challenges, and each step you're growing in wisdom. You have to be moving. You have to be trying to live wisely. And so what happens to us? Well, sometimes we don't want to do anything. You know, like the parable in Matthew chapter 25, we don't want to risk failure. The wicked servant didn't want to risk criticism. And so he did nothing at all. So sometimes we just sit in the parking lot because we don't want to look foolish. I don't know which way to turn, so I'm just not going to move at all. We don't even try. We had uh, two friends from Japan many years ago, husband and wife studying at the university. And uh, their English was not very good, but that was one of their goals, was to really improve their English. And the, the wife, Keiko, was just a very warm, friendly, confident kind of a person. She was always talking, always making mistakes in English, always making us laugh and laughing along with us as we told her what her mistakes were. But it didn't stop her. She just kept talking, kept making mistakes, kept getting corrected, kept making mistakes, kept getting corrected. And you know what? Her English improved vastly during her time here. Her husband, on the other hand, was a perfectionist. He didn't want to speak until he knew he had it exactly right. So he seldom made mistakes, but he seldom spoke also. At the end of his stay here, he had hardly improved his English at all. You have to try. You have to live wisely in order to grow in wisdom. Movement, that's what I'm talking about. You have to try to live wisely. People who never try anything never grow in wisdom. And so isn't this good advice for us as parents? Parents who don't ever allow children 
to live wisely in a foolish world never give them a chance to make small stumbles where they can be corrected while they're still at home and where they can be taught and then allowed to make another stumble and be taught again and corrected and then make another stumble. But each time they're getting wiser and wiser and wiser. It varies by age, there's no doubt. But when you look at the book of Proverbs, it's addressed primarily, I think, to young people and look at all the choices it's asking young people to make about money and about generosity, about planning for the future, about sex and romance, about their words, about how to evaluate people and discern character, about how to respond to what people say, to not be taken in by flattery or seduction. There's just all kinds of topics that are covered where people are actually, young people are actually living in the world and then being allowed, yes, they stumble now and then and then they come back. And they're taught, they're corrected, and they live yet wiser again. So Proverbs, you'll notice, is not a book of philosophy, poetry. It's not really a book of theology at all. It's not a bunch even of clever sayings to mull over and try to figure out like puzzles. It's really a call to action. There's lots of verbs in here. It's telling us to do something. Heed this. Listen to this. Walk this way. Look this way. Don't look that way. Listen to him, but don't listen to, to, to that person. Don't listen to flattery. In other words, you don't learn wisdom. That's what Proverbs is teaching us. You don't just learn wisdom by reading a book or studying a lecture because, as Proverbs itself tells us, even a, even a fool can mouth a wise proverb. No, you learn it by putting them into action. So correction is only possible if you're actually moving in life, as if you're actually trying to live wisely. So do it. Do it. That's what Scripture is saying here and everywhere. And so what we get to is this, maybe as a summary. Wisdom is a skill in living life as God intended. That's how we're looking at wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It's heart training. It's mind training. It's even body training, you might say. To live the way God wanted, which is wisdom. Like any skill, like any skill at all, wisdom comes by practice. You do it, you do it, you do it. And you get better and better and better. Isn't it amazing how many skills are perfected during the teen years, during youth? I mean, there's, there's teenagers, they sit in their room and they pl plunk at a guitar over and over and over again. They play a piano, they practice a sport, they swim, they juggle a soccer ball, they, they ski, whatever it is. Maybe they read a book, maybe they learn a language, maybe they do something else, but they spend hours and hours at this skill, and what happens is that they get better and better at it. They, they do it the first time, they get frustrated because they make mistakes, they're taught, they're corrected. They do it again, they're taught, they're corrected, they do it again, and they get really good at it. They get very good at it. They become a blessing to everybody around them. Malcolm Gladwell, he's written lots of books. In one of his books, Outlier, he suggests that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to become an expert in your field. I don't know if that's true. You know, he comes up with all kinds of weird estimates, but it's interesting. 10,000 hours, if you think of a typical work week, that's five years of doing nothing but working at perfecting your skill. Pretty amazing. It takes time. You do it over and over and over again. Practice, practice. That's how you learn wisdom also. You practice doing wise things that are 
in accord with God's Word and in accord with His will and His purpose for our lives. You know, Scripture tells us that Paul spent 18 months with the Corinthians. Day and night, it says. Day and night, I, he taught them. And I'm sure he was a great teacher. I'm sure he taught them many important things. But then, when he left, they started to put these things into practice. They, they started to be a church. You might say, do church. And then, you know what happened? All kinds of questions came up. So they wrote to Paul, and that's what the first book of Corinthians is all about. They said, Paul, um, what was it you said about food offered to idols? Could you repeat that again? And, and oh, another question. All this stuff about men, women, and sex, we're just not clear about that. Could you, could you tell us more about that stuff? And, and how about, I know you said something about how we're going to look when we're in heaven. We had a debate about that. We're just not sure. Could you tell us again? Once they started to live it out and teach it and explain it and have it fortify their hope, it aroused all kinds of questions. They wanted to be corrected. They wanted to be taught more. So in trying to live wisely and in honing this skill of living as God intended us to live, we see our weaknesses and we look for correction. We look for improvement. I don't know if you've ever had a job to do at home, maybe fix something or make something. And what do you do? You go to YouTube. I think it's amazing. You can learn almost anything there. I don't know about surgery, but I ha haven't tried it. But I bet there's YouTubes on how to do surgery. But it's good. You watch a 10-minute video. You say, I got this. This is easy. I can do that. So then you go out and you try to do it. And as you're doing it, what happens? More questions arise. Where was that bolt? He said, I can't see it. How do you get this clip out? So what do you do? You go back and you watch the YouTube again. And this time you listen with more attention to every detail. And then you correct it in your ignorance or in your understanding or your misunderstanding. You go back and you do it again and you may repeat the process. Your skill is honed. It's only after starting the job that more questions arise. You get better and better. You get more and more skilled. And, and that's true for living wisely for the Lord in this world. You have to try it to live wisely. You have to live it. Jesus left instructions for children of the Heavenly Father, for you and me. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he said, make disciples. We all know that. He said, baptize them. We all know that. And he said, teach them. We all know that, except we get it wrong. That's not what he said. He didn't say teach them. He didn't say teach them theology. He didn't say give them lectures on all sorts of abstract topics. You know what he said? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do all that I've commanded. In other words, he said, teach them how to actually live out the values of the kingdom. Teach them how to live out being my follower. To live wisely, we actually have to do it. And so, parents, living wisely in a foolish world, will get their children to start practicing making wise choices. Yeah, they're surrounded by a foolish world, but they'll never learn unless they're making choices. And yes, Sometimes stumbling, needing correction, more teaching, more stumbles. So we've seen over and over that wise friends will make us wiser. We've seen 1 Corinthians 15.33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So how do you do it? You keep them from having any friends at all, which is the easiest thing to do. Or trusting in God's word, do you try really hard to teach them how to be friends with those who are following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus just like your son or daughter is. They may rebel, they may object, I don't know how to make friends, so what do you do? Well, let me teach you how to make friends. 
They fail, they come back discouraged. You say, let me correct you, let me help you, let me teach you more. And bit by bit, they grow in the wisdom of choosing other friends who are followers of Jesus. And it really equips them for life. You've got to keep going. If you want them, for example, to start to memorize Scripture, which I know. Everybody says, ah, I can't memorize. You can memorize. just have never tried it. So you start by a phrase, then you start with a verse. You encourage them to keep going. You tell them you can do it. And then they get better. They get more confident. They realize their skills that God has given them. And soon they're memorizing whole chapters. They'll shock you. If they want to take the easy path, when a challenge comes into their life, and every child will face challenges of some kind or the other. And it'll seem enormous to them. It's like Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13. There's a lion in the street. Mom, I can't do that. I'm scared. It's impossible to do that. There'll be lots of excuses. We can't ignore their fears. Neither should we fortify their excuses and give them a way out. Instead, we should say, well, my son, my daughter, if God is calling you to do something, you have to find the grace, the strength that he's providing for you to accomplish this. There's a way. There's a way for you to do this. Trust God and do what he calls you to do. So you help them to gain in endurance. You help them to learn how to face challenges in their life, both inward and outward. And you find that that's essential for anyone who wants to live for Jesus in this world. You know, uh, I was reading about a while ago when the English and the French were battling each other a couple of centuries ago. And after one such battle in which the English won a great victory, the general said, the English were not braver than the French. The English were just braver five minutes longer. Endurance. We have to teach our children that. We have to teach ourselves that. That's what God wants from all of us because all of us will face challenges, but we're Given grace to do what God calls us to. Always God provides a way for us to obey Him. So this book is a is manual for training leaders in the royal court. It's training those who will be, have skill in living life as God intended. And, and as I was saying, there, there's hints here that it's for training those who will serve in the royal court. But did you know that that's what your life is about also? That right now in our life, God is training us to serve in His royal court. That's what Scripture says. That's what we're doing. That's why we're practicing. That's why we have to go out there and, and live these things out and get better and better at them. In 2 Timothy 2.12, which I read in the beginning of this service, it says, if we endure, there's that word, if we endure, we will reign with Him. Not just be with Him. You notice that? We often just say, oh, I'll be with Jesus. No, you're going to reign with him. There's work to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the opening verses there, talk about disputes in the church and says, come on, be wise. Figure out how to bring peace in the church. Why? Because you're practicing. You're practicing how to be discerning and make judgments and bring about peace because one day you'll be judging the angels. You'll be judging the world. We're practicing to sit alongside our Lord Jesus Christ and reign with him. In Revelations chapter 22, it says, in the final day, we're not just going to be in heaven playing harps and riding on clouds. It says, what we will reign with him forever and ever. Reign with him. We're members of the royal court ruling wisely under our great king. 
And today, this life, everything you're experiencing is practice. It's growing in wisdom. And the only way to grow in wisdom is to try it. We're all in training to rule. We're all practicing, all making mistakes, all of us. We're all being put back up by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all being corrected, taught again, and put out in the world again. Grow in wisdom. Children of the Heavenly Father, whether we're parents, whether we're Christians, may we live ever more wisely in this very foolish world. Amen. All blessing and glory and honor belong to you, Lord Jesus, our King. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for teaching us and growing us in the ways of wisdom. Give us wisdom, Lord, also to teach our children, all those that have been entrusted to us even as a church. Give wisdom especially to parents, Lord, so that that instinct to protect will at the right time and wisely be replaced by obedience to your word, to give them time to grow in making wise choices. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It's amazing in the scriptures how hard, how hard the rebukes of Jesus could be to those who were arrogant. And yet, how tender and how gentle his corrections were to those who were humble of heart, to those who were hungry for teaching. So may the Lord give us all ears to be attentive to his gentle correction this week so that we can grow in wisdom. Amen. <laughs>